0: And is that not the day that we long for? The day that we anticipate, the day that we want to be a part of. It's that day in which we gather as the bride of Christ and we will be married to our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be gathered with him and we will celebrate him forever. And what a good day that will be. Uh, I'm kind of glad that many of you are not sitting too closely this morning... Because I just learned a valuable lesson as we were singing that song is that it's not good to drink a bottle of water while you're singing. And so I am covered down the front with water right now. (laughs) I'm just looking like a lot of y'all who just came in out of that gully washer outside. By the way, I'm so proud of you. It's like Seattle outside, okay? It's cold and it's rainy and you're here at an 830 worship service, okay? That's character and I'm just, I'm so proud of you. You know, I I was reading this week a story about Monica, who was in an impossible marriage to Patrick. It's about 4th century AD, and Patrick had a a short temper. He's a man who boasted in his uh, immorality. Their son didn't even know the Lord, and it just brought tremendous grief upon Monica, And for years, she prayed for her husband. She she loved him well. She served him well. She followed his lead. Well, towards the end of his life, because of the, the faithfulness, the perseverance, the prayers of this godly wife, Patrick prayed to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And by God's grace... Also, her son, later in life, also came to faith in Jesus. You may have heard of her son. His name is St. Augustine. Augustine wrote a book entitled Confessions, in which a portion of the book is is him praying to the Lord. And as he's praying, he has this this phrase, this, this sentence in the middle of his prayer to the Lord, in which he says this, praying to the Lord about his mother, He prays, she served him, her husband, as her Lord. But she made it her business to win him for you by preaching you to him through her way of life. For by her conduct, you made her beautiful in her husband's eyes. You see, marriage can be difficult. For many, it began at an altar very similar to this one in which you locked arms you covenanted with your spouse but what was simultaneously happening on that wedding day was two sinners were coming together saying i do and so marriage is difficult in and of itself but if you are married to someone who does not know the lord it can sometimes feel nearly impossible So what is a wife to do when she is not in a marriage with someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Simon Peter answers that question in 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going through the book of 1 Peter as a faith family in which we're, we're studying this letter that Simon Peter wrote to first century believers who were suffering for the sake of the gospel. Many were facing persecution because of their faith in Jesus. And so he writes these five chapters to challenge them to remain faithful to Jesus, to stand firm in the true grace of God. And then you get to 1 Peter chapter 3, and he takes time to practically apply the gospel to wives and to husbands. Now, he spends a a significant amount of his time writing to wives. And the question is, why? Why do wives get six verses in chapter 3 and husbands only get one? Well, I think there's, there's many reasons, and I think the, the most important one that we hold fast to is that the Word of God is God's Word. It is written to us. It is inspired by God, so it's completely true and trustworthy in all that it contains. Therefore, there's a reason the Holy Spirit wrote it in such a way like this. But I think it's also important to keep this in context of the women in the first century. They were completely dependent upon their husbands. I mean, forget voting rights, forget Title IX. These wives were completely dependent upon their husbands in order to live. Well, as persecution is increasing, Peter is giving wives God's blueprint for how they are to relate to their husbands, particularly if their spouse does not know the Lord. If you notice in your notes, you'll see two big truths that we covered last week. And so if you were not here last week, I I urge you to go back and on the app or on our website, gowiswood.org, Go back and listen, because a lot of what we covered last week, we're going to be building upon this morning. But there is so much happening here in these first six verses of chapter 3. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going to be unpacking verses 5 and 6. We're building upon verses 1 through 4, just as Simon Peter laid out for us. Well a quick review of last week the question was how can I become the wife that God has called me to be we saw number 1 that you are to submit like Christ this call to submit that Peter gives to wives this is countercultural the world around us ridicules such an outdated perspective and way of living and yet God is telling a bigger story through the submission of wives to their husbands to to put his glory on display for the world to see particularly in marriage god is pointing to a wife's submission as means of pointing her husband to the gospel We saw last week how Christ modeled for us what submission looks like. Just as Jesus, the eternal Son of God, gladly and willingly submitted to the will of the Father, so too our wives to submit to their husbands. We see this ultimately in the gospel, where Jesus, at the end of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21-25, through 25, he walks through the gospel and says, submission looks like a blood-stained cross. We see where Jesus is stapled to a tree as, as a mark of an outward submission to the glory of his Father. And so now Peter's saying, wives, in the same way, you submit to your husband your wives, your, your perfect model for submission is Jesus. And it's perfectly realized in the gospel. We then saw the number two, that you, you cultivate the character of Christ. We saw in verses two through four that wives are to live pure, reverent lives that overflow from inside the heart with the character of Christ. It's a character that carries the imperishable beauty, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit that is of great worth in God's sight. Wives who are humble and peaceable reflect to their husbands and to the world what God is like. So with submission being the primary thrust of what Peter is driving home for wives in 1 Peter 3, where should a woman look for the example? You could imagine that if we had the apostles up here on stage in a Q&A session, someone might walk up to a microphone and say, hey, Peter, you said wives are to submit to their husbands. Are there any examples that you could give to us? Is there a woman or some women that we could look at that you might give us insight of what this practically looks like? And I think if Peter was up here, he would take the microphone and he would say, yes, look at verses five and six. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Here, Simon Peter is laying out for us, this is what the the mark of a godly wife looks like. This is the, the wife that God is calling you to be. So I want you to see number three, moving forward, is wives, learn from those who have gone before you. He says here in verse five, for in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way. Submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Well, here in the text, Peter is giving women the example of submission by pointing them, verse 5, to the past. Okay, so before you go forward, you learn by looking backward, Peter says. And so he writes, for in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God, they adorned themselves in this way. Peter saying, listen, this command is not new. You're not the first wives ever who have submitted to their husbands. History is chock full of godly women who modeled what submission looks like. You can go back to 1 Samuel 25, where Abigail, she is married to a guy named Nabal. Now, Nabal is a jerk. This is a fool. In fact, Nabal is a guy who treated David's servants very poorly, and this angered King David to the point where King David's like, that's it, I'm going after him. And so as King David is going after Nabal and his whole family, Abigail rushes to her husband's aid and she becomes a mediator. She comes to David and his, all of his soldiers and she brings gifts and she brings a humble apology. And because of the work of this godly wife, she saw David relent from his anger and God, by his grace, protected her family that day. You look at the life of Ruth, a godly woman who was so faithful to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Well, God, in his kindness, brought Ruth into a marriage with Boaz. And in their marriage, she, she loved him well, she served him well, and God rewarded her with a son. And that son's name was Obed, who would become the grandfather of King David. You look at a woman like Esther, a godly woman who loved her husband, King Ahasuerus. And this king had just ordered the extermination of the Jews because of some bad counsel he got from one of his workers, Haman. So Esther had the responsibility of influencing and yet humbly serving her husband in such a way to change his mind to relent from the extermination of the Jews and protect her own people. Well, God, by his grace, used this submissive wife who loved her husband well and influenced him in such a way that indeed she saved her people from extermination and she was able to be used by God for the execution of Haman, the king's evil assistant. You see, wives, it is right and good to look backwards to find models of godly femininity, Biblical womanhood, it's there in the scriptures that you find wisdom and encouragement that you can identify with godly women of the faith who are going through something that you're going through right now as a wife. Whether your husband is awesome and he's easy to follow or he is a jerk and it's difficult to deal with, God in his word has provided for you examples and illustrations for what submission looks like moving forward in your marriage. Well, in verse 5, Peter's pointing wives back to the Old Testament. He's pointing them back to women of old who've gone before us. Now, the Bible is full of wives who submitted their husbands. Well, in 1 Peter 3, Simon Peter presents a specific holy woman in particular. Her name is Sarah. Now, Sarah was the wife of Abraham. She, like most women, wanted to be a mom, She wanted so badly to have babies that she even allowed Abraham to become the father of a child through her maidservant. That's how bad she wanted to have kids. And what was interesting is that God had closed her womb for a season. But God was up to something. He was doing something through her barrenness. And what's interesting, you get to Genesis chapter 18. God comes to Abraham and he is 99 years old. and And God says... Next year, your wife Sarah is going to have a baby. Well, Sarah overhears this and she starts laughing like, <laughs> oh my goodness, what woman can give birth at age 90? What husband can become a father at age 100? But as she's laughing, she says these words, after I'm worn out, verse 12, and my Lord is old. Will I have delight? Now, this is such a significant moment in biblical history because Isaiah, Moses, Peter, Paul, and the writer of Hebrews all reference the birth of Isaac to Sarah. But you can hear the, the love and the devotion and the respect that she has for her husband, Abraham. She referred to him as my Lord. Now, that word Lord, it's not a capital L. She's not worshiping him. She's not deifying him. She's, she's submitting to him. It's a word of respect. It's a, it's a submission to her husband. It'd be similar to wives saying yes, sir, to their husbands. And yet you gladly, humbly follow the leadership of the man whom God has placed over you in marriage. Now, our culture rages against a term like this you would hear words like misogyny sexism that's male chauvinism how oppressive but God holds Sarah up verse five and six as the model for wives why now this is key y'all this is huge don't miss this the reason why Sarah can gladly call Abraham her Lord is because Sarah's hope was not in Abraham. Look at verse 5. Who was Sarah's hope in? God. She hoped in God. Underline those three, those three words. God was her, her hope. She loved Yahweh. She trusted in the Lord. She loved the Lord. He was her hope. She could gladly submit to any husband because her hope was not in the husband. Her hope was in God. She could gladly submit to Abraham because her hope was in the one who would one day come. A future Messiah who would come and rescue her from sin and from death. Her hope was in God. And when your hope is in God, you can put up with anything. Don't miss this. Submission begins with your relationship with the Lord, not your husband. Okay, wives, your submission to your husband isn't even about your husband. Your your motivation is the Lord. Because when God is your hope, there's nothing in this life you aren't willing to do for him, even placing yourself under the leadership and the care of your husband. You see, the gospel frees you from controlling your husband. The gospel frees you from having to begrudgingly submit to someone. The gospel liberates you. It sets you free because your hope is not found in your husband. Your hope is found in the Lord. It's not like, if my husband was just a leader worth following, then I would follow. Then I would submit. And here we're seeing in the scripture, Peter saying, no, 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 no. That's not the point. These holy women of old, their hope was in God, not in their husband's their hope was in the lord it's not even about you wives the gospel frees you to joy-filled jesus-exalting submission because your hope is in the one who is sovereign over all things including your husband you see what wives your hope is in god this hope this is your secret weapon Your secret weapon in your marriage is the hope that you have in God. It's not based upon your husband's leadership. It's based upon God's faithfulness. You see, the gospel says that God's love is enough. His love satisfies far more than any love of a man. God's leadership is faithful. He neither neglects, Nor abuses. He's not apathetic and he is not weak, but he leads you with perfect leadership. We see that God's presence is sure. Hope is your power to move forward. One of my favorite sections of scripture is Psalm 42 and 43, because what you see is is a psalm writer who is struggling with depression. I mean, he is in the emotional doldrums, and he just can't seem to get himself out of it. He says in in, in Psalm 42 uh, that my tears, they are my food both day and night. As the world around me says, where is his God? And so as he struggles through all of this, eventually he stops listening to himself, and he starts preaching to himself. Hear me today, if you are in the doldrums, if you're in depression, don't listen to yourself preach to yourself. And he says, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Hope in God. He is saying, come on soul, come on self, hope in God. Well, if you're struggling in your marriage today, I want you to not listen to yourself, but preach to yourself. Come on soul, hope in God. Trust in him. He is faithful and kind. He is true and trustworthy in all of his ways. Regardless of how my husband treats me, my hope is in the Lord. That's the point Peter is driving home, is that your hope is in God. The question for you this morning is this. Who is your hope in? If your hope is in your husband, he is going to fail you. If your hope is in your children they're going to fail you. If your hope is in your career your job is going to fail you. If your hope is in the government do I really need to finish the sentence? <laughs> Ultimately your hope on anything other than God will lead to depression and disappointment. It will not satisfy, it will not be sufficient, it will not last. And here Simon Peter is directing wives to put their hope in God, verse five. Now what's interesting is that Peter references Sarah and Abraham, verse six, with the expectation that the people in Asia Minor knew who they were. Okay, Peter here, he's assuming that the church knew their Old Testament. Ladies, hear me today. If your primary diet of intake of of information is is People Magazine and and Facebook, you're going to be spiritually unhealthy. That's like eating Little Debbie's and cotton candy thinking you're going to have a six-pack. It's just not going to happen, okay? If you are feeding yourself on garbage, your soul is at stake. You're going to get sick. You're going to see that inside your heart bitterness, jealousy, jealousy, Anger, they start welling up inside your heart. When you're neglecting walking in the Spirit with the Word of God, you're going to find that there are truths that God has for other people that He wants to deliver through you, but you will not have them to deliver His messages because you're listening to the world instead of His Word. And so, what's interesting here is that we see God, through Simon Peter, pointing these women to the scriptures. But what we see for us, for us to have a hope in God that continually grows, it's based upon a steady diet of the word of God. Let me give you three principles. Your diet for gospel growth is found in these three, word, these three principles. Feast upon scripture, eat good books, nibble on the rest. This is your diet. God provides for you a banquet table to come, to sit, to savor delicacies that He's given to you through His Word. Feast upon Scripture. You eat good books, read books that exalt Jesus. Read read books that drive you to the truths of the Bible. Read biographies of faithful saints, men and women who laid their lives down for the sake of gospel, who were faithful to Jesus to the very end. I've included in your notes a, a list of female authors that I recommend now, this is not an exhaustive list, but, but these are women whose, whose books I've read who have blessed me. They have helped me to love Jesus more. They've helped me to think more biblically. And so I would encourage you to, as you're on Amazon or Lifeway or wherever you, you get your books, look for these types of authors who are going to drive you to the gospel. So feast upon Scripture, eat good books, nibble on the rest. And through this diet, for, for gospel growth, your hope is going to grow. Your faith is gonna be strengthened. And as you learn from those who've gone before you, you're gonna see God continue to work in your life and in your marriage. Fourthly, we see in verse six, we are to imitate their example. Peter writes, you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Wives, you become Sarah's children, her daughters, when you A, do what is good, verse six, and you don't fear intimidation. Peter here is applying to wives a key theme that's repeated throughout his book. Now, this is going to come across like rapid fire. It's going to be too quick, so you can't write it down, but let me throw it at you. Listen to the common themes. 1 Peter 2.12, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Governors, chapter 2, verse 14, praise those who do what is good. Verse 15, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. But when you do what is good, verse 20, and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. Chapter 3, verse 11, do what is good. Verse 16, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Chapter 4, verse 19, So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing good. This call to do good, this, this call to good works that Peter is placing upon wives is actually something he's calling upon all believers to do. So in your marriage, good works is what God is calling you to. Now you don't do good works to be saved. You do good works because you are saved. As fruit that you belong to Jesus, wives, Simon Peter's calling you to, is to do good. And when you do good, it is then that you are showing that you're a child, a daughter of Sarah. And then you are liberated, verse 6, from fear of your husband's intimidation. Let me put it another way. As one who hopes in God, like the women of old from the past, it's overflowing with good works. You are free from fear of any man. You see, fear of the Lord sets you free from fear of anyone else. Don't miss that. When you fear the Lord, you don't have to fear the intimidation of your husband. Your hope is in God. You're doing good works. You're trusting in Jesus. You're following him. And as you're pursuing Christ in the gospel, you are free from fear. And yet, may I say to you wives and women this morning, you are not the only one at Westwood who is seeking to become more like Jesus. Westwood is a treasure chest of women who are rich in faith many of them are in this room they're sitting next to you throughout this morning they're going to be sprinkled all throughout this campus one of the things I want to encourage women to do is to lock arms with other women you need other women in your life who will speak truth into your life who will encourage you women who are going to point you to Jesus let me show you what this looks like We're gonna finish up with this. Turn with me to Titus chapter two. Titus chapter two. Turn back just a few pages to the book of Titus chapter two. And I wanna show you wives and women practically what this looks like. In Titus chapter two, Paul's giving a pastoral call to Titus, his true son in a common faith. But in Titus two, begin with verse three, listen to what Paul exhorts Titus with. He says, in the same way, Older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. To be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husband, so that God's word will not be slandered. Women, I want to encourage you to learn from those around you. Don't only look back in in scriptures to find examples, although do that. Don't only look to good books, although please do that, but also look around this room. Walk around this campus. Build relationships with other women. Okay, so here's three steps I want to challenge women to do. Number one, identify godly wives, ask good questions, and take good notes. Okay, so Sunday mornings, you're like, hey, Kenneth, I don't, I've got kids. Uh, how in the world do I create time to learn from other women so I can learn how I can be more faithful to Jesus? Well, by God's grace, we have the church. On Sunday mornings, the Lord's given us a cafe where you can get coffee. We have an incredible children and student ministry where your kids can learn the gospel. And you can go sit on a couch or grab a chair and the two of you sit down or the three of you or the five of you. You gather together. And then you just start peppering these older women with good questions. Asking how you can be more faithful, how you can love Jesus more. One, one of the great gifts in my life is I have many godly men in my life that I can go to and say, hey, how can I lead my family better? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a more faithful pastor? These are things that we, we, God has put people in our life to help us to grow in the gospel. And as you, as you live your life as an example to those around you, watch how God will use you to begin pouring into others. It's beautiful. What we see in the scriptures is the one anothering in which wives encourage one another and challenge one another to continue to follow hard after Jesus. Paul's saying here in Titus 2 that the wives are to, to, older women teach younger women to be, to be faithful, to, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self controlled, to, to be pure, workers at home, kind and submission to their husbands. These are all good truths. And so what we're seeing here is a call to life on life, women on, on women, loving one another, encouraging one another, challenging one another to continue to be faithful to Jesus. You know what's interesting is that the Bible begins with a wedding. And the Bible closes with a wedding. And at that last wedding, there may be people there at that wedding. Because, wives, you love your husband because you're pointing your children to Jesus. And by you being faithful unto Jesus, who is your hope, one day your husband or your children may even write a book and write out a prayer and praise and thank God for a woman who pointed them Jesus and she did so with a sermon not with words but with your life that's our pursuit as followers of Jesus